Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're hailing from. Welcome to another episode of the DevOpsish Podcast. I am Chris Short, owner, editor-in-chief, whatever you want to call me, of DevOpsish, the newsletter. You can find it at devopsish.com, three syllables for your reading pleasure. So the point of this podcast is not to actually go over the newsletter, right? Like you can read the newsletter yourself. You can subscribe to it. You can read it every Sunday when it comes out. The point of this podcast is to go over the actual inputs of the newsletter. So we're going to dive right on in here. So let's see. Uh, Let's start with Twitter activity for the past week or so. Uh, Last seven days. No, last eight days because we want that Monday and Sunday, Monday in there. There we go. All right. So. Everything on Twitter for the last nine days, apparently. Top tweets. Here we go. And all I do, folks, is just look at Twitter analytics, look at Reddit analytics, and then look at LinkedIn analytics. If you're on uh, the Twitter space, feel free to ask to come on to talk if you have a specific question or anything. Um, But the most popular things the past few days on Twitch for me, one was, I mean, number one is the article that Chris Nova did about why fix Kubernetes and system D great article. You know, Chris is a friend. Feel free to check that out. Um, I don't even know how to like post text or anything in this chat. It's kind of funny how that works. Um, Yeah, no, that's not helping. All right. Maybe this will turn to a screen share at some point. Invite to co-host. There you go, Justin. So, there you go. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you go to my Twitter, you'll see it. It's yeah, Kubernetes and Systemd. Or you can just go to Chris Nova's Twitter page and see it as well. It's also in the notes this week. Uh, so, go to devopsish.com. Click on issue 286, and it'll be in the notes. Um, real, real quick for you, yeah. How to share? How to share text in here in the Twitter space? Yes. You, you have to tweet it. You oh, have to God. tweet something. Okay. And then on on the tweet itself, you go to the share button, and the very top thing typically is going to be share tweet in, and it says the name of the title of the space. Wow. And, okay. Uh, and then it pins it. It's it's very confusing, <laughs> but you have to tweet it first. So you might want to start a thread for these with okay. the links you're going to talk about, and then you yeah. can tweet yeah, all the yeah. links. And then there's also cool. in the bottom right corner, yeah. there's a little chat button. You're you automatically tweet the space when it starts. So yeah. you already have a space there, and usually I just thread them um, because that just stays. So I just any links that I want to save inside the space, I just reply to that tweet, and then pin them if I want to. Okay, so I gotta go find the starting tweet and then continue, I guess. Yeah, that's the, that's the easiest way that I've found that people can find the links. I mean, because if you tweet it on that starting tweet, mm. uh, yes. not everyone will scroll through all the, um, some people call it the jumbotron, um, the, the pins tweets inside the space. Um, they Not everyone scrolls through them because as you add more, they just keep adding up. So uh, yeah, if you if you go down and put them in the thread, then they'll People can find them a little easier. 
Okay, cool. Thank you for that, Justin. I appreciate it. And everybody, yep. this is Justin Garrison, a friend and coworker here at AWS. Um, he has done many, many spaces before, so I got the inspiration for this from him directly. So let's see. The, I hope that shows up for everybody because it says it's sending. Of course, I have Twitter blue, so I have to wait and actually hit send now. All right. So, uh, yeah, follow along on Twitter and it'll all this stuff will be threaded. So, yeah, the why Kubernetes and system D uh, Chris is working on a new project. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled like aura with an E. So I'm assuming it's just aura. Um, but she goes into all the details of why she's doing this, what system D does, what Kubernetes does, where they work well together or where they have overlap. Um, and then a, a number of things about the project she's currently working on. And I highly recommend you go check out Chris Nova on Twitch uh, and subscribe because her streams are pretty awesome. Um, just a really great resource. And she streams pretty regularly. Um, she had another related blog post uh, to that, which actually I... I liked a, a bit, a bit more, than more. This one, this okay. one was good. Um, there was another one that was about um, how much information of an orchestrator should a node know about. Hmm. If if you have a bunch of servers, should they know they're in a Kubernetes cluster? What what abstraction layer is like the lowest level that they should be they should care about mm -hmm. to be effective in the system and to make it easier to use? And I found that an interesting concept because. I remember back in the days with CoreOS, like CoreOS had clustering built in. You had etcd as part of what the nodes used to coordinate between each other with locksmithd and all these tools to make it easier for the cluster to the, each machine to be aware that it's not the only thing inside the cluster. But there wasn't a lot of higher level things above that that we did have. Um, well, I'm forgetting what their original scheduler was called that was based on systemd. Um, uh, they had a job scheduling system that would allow you to fleet. That's what it was mm -hmm. called. You could, you could, before Kubernetes, you could send a literally a system D unit to multiple machines with fleets and the machines clustered together with etcd. It stored that information in etcd. Um, and now, but what does that look like at, if you have a layer above, if you have Kubernetes and then what below should they know about? Should they know about they're in AWS? Should a node know I run an AWS and I'm in a Kubernetes cluster? What does that do? the more vertically, you know, stacked these machines, they, that what do they know about? And what does that do to the jobs on top of it? How does it make the operators' lives better? Um, so I can find that link and, and pin it here. But I found that one really fascinating too, because that's a hard problem and you can get that wrong so many different ways. Yeah, totally. Um, 100%. So yeah, it, thank you for that, Justin. Appreciate it. Uh, so folks following on Twitch, I forgot to hit the unmute button in OBS. Keep in mind, this is the first time I'm doing this on Twitch. So bear with me on that one. Um, looks like it's not working at all. So that's fun and, you know, fancy free. So let me try and get that fixed real quick. I had this working, I swear. I promise you. Yeah, it should. Now, if I unmute myself, it will work. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that, folks, on Twitch. Uh, next up from the Twitters. Um, so <laughs> my, uh, my wife, son and I, we went to, uh, the Detroit auto show. It has a longer name. I forget what it is, but 
they had it's the same place CubeCon's being held, so I was super interested in that aspect of it at the very least. Um, trying to fit, you know get the lay of the land, that kind of thing. But this one tweet uh, is hilarious because they brought the big duck in, and the big duck apparently has a connection to the Jeep community, like Jeep Wranglers, Jeep SUVs, kind of thing. And yeah, it was just like this massive duck. And of course, Max had his mind blown. You know, he's six years old. He's never seen anything that big, you know, that relates to him at all, ever. So it was pretty cool. And that's actually like the the tweet I shared. The picture from it is like now on my uh, iOS devices landing pages. So that like the venue for KubeCon is massive. So there's going to be plenty of space for everybody. Like they had full on like in-person you know, test drive tracks built into the auto show. Like you'd be on the show floor and 20, 30 feet up in the air, there's this Jeep Cherokee coming down this huge ramp that they set up. It was crazy. A lot of cool stuff. Uh, the future looks bright, you know, coming out of Detroit. So I'm excited to see that uh, come to fruition, right? Like vertical takeoff, driving or flying cars, all that fun stuff. It was super, super fun. Um, so yeah, that's just a little family anecdote there. Uh, Liz the Gray had an amazing quote on Twitter activity or observability in general. Um, and it was, uh, just, you know, like you are a mature developer, do mature developer things basically in a nutshell. And, uh, yeah, like keep in mind you're an expert. If you're doing this, you're an expert. You don't have to pass some test, right? Like if you have the job title, that's what you do. Uh, you, you are a professional at that, whether you like it or not. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Consistent application level tagging for cost tracking in AWS. Blog post here. Let's see. Any interest? Tatiana wrote it. Okay, let's see. Proton, Lambda, billing, cost management, the whole nine yards. Uh, yeah, I'll share that in here, because why not? That was well received on the Twitters. Cool. Uh, what else? Going down the list here. Uh, I got a Steam Deck, and I had a lot of feedback on that. It's bigger than a Switch but it is massively more powerful. So I took that with me to DevOps Day Chicago. Made for an interesting, like, loadout as far as, like, because it's so big, the case it came with is so big. And I, like, it was just a lot of electronics for what ended up being a two-day trip. <laughs> so it, I mentioned it was kind of like, you know, the iPhone took all these devices and consolidated them into one. And now we have, you know, gone back in time. And now all these devices are now separated out. And why is that, right? Like, why is why why can't I play games on my iPad like I used to? And basically, it's graphics cards, right? Like, that is one of the driving forces in life here. So just keep that in mind. Um, if you are a Steam Deck owner, like I'm, please tweet at me all your tips and tricks for traveling with it. I would be very interested. Um, so, I have a Steam Deck. Yeah, I just brought it on my first trip um, to Bangkok. And I was excited for it because I was like, this is like 24 hours of travel right. that I'm going to get to actually play this thing and have fun with it. And you're right. Like there's just, it's a big case. 
uh, I bought mine used and then actually the person who had it had like a hard case for it. Mm-hmm. So that like, you don't technically, I don't need the full thing. It had put like this hard shell around the whole thing, yeah. but it made the controls really hard. Like the triggers were kind of like sunk in at that point because the case was so big. Um, yeah. So I was like, it's this trade off of like, how much protection do I want versus how much usability of it do I want? Yeah. So I took the case off and just brought the carrying case and I can fit my laptop, the Steam Deck, and my headphones with also a case, like the Sony mm-hmm. uh, noise-canceling headphones, in my backpack, but then it's full. Right. Like, I can't get anything else in there, and that's just like my backpack is is done for. Yeah, like um, I've switched to a roller laptop bag because of my shoulder and neck, and like it yeah. was just stuffful. When you include all the medications and, you know, you got to figure, you know, the dongles and everything else you throw in an iPad and a MacBook pro and some magazines and it was just ridiculous. Um, right. So my, yeah. the biggest annoyance for me was I had to take out one more thing at the airport. Mm. And it was like <laughs> yet another yeah, thing. I was traveling like, domestically. I had my iPad. Yeah. And so yeah. overseas, it would be a completely different story. Like they would be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And so it was, it was good. Like I played it, a couple times i put it in the airport i had like a six hour layover mm-hmm. and my problem now is like for the games i'm playing the battery just doesn't last no. and i can play you know 45 minutes to an hour of like halo and then it's like <laughs> oh i should find some power and, and so that was kind of a bummer uh, but i played it in the hotel quite a bit and right. when i played it in the airport i had power at the seat so i was like this is okay but the airport power or the airplane power and the seats don't power it. It's too low. Of, oh, really? Uh, voltage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had to still have another battery pack that had better uh, output to be able to charge it if I wanted to play on the plane. Dang. And so that was a that was a bummer. Um, I, I tried to pull it out on the plane coming home, but the battery was completely dead. It just doesn't it doesn't suspend very well and keep the battery. Like I I leave my iPad for a week if I don't use it. Like it still yeah, has like fine ninety percent battery. Right. The Steam Deck, if I'm not charging it every other day, I'll come back and it's lost 10 to 20%. And, hmm. and so that's a bummer. Um, but otherwise, it's I had my iPad Mini, I had my laptop, I had the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck was the one I pulled out the most, or I wanted to pull out the most, because mm-hmm. it's just it was more fun. The iPad Mini, I, I used it to watch videos. Yeah, yeah, I, I downloaded all my you know Plex stuff offline so I could mm-hmm. watch stuff offline, but that was about all I did with it. Yeah, and I've got you know the iPad Pro with the M one chip and a terabyte of storage. And it's like, I could watch all the movies in the world. I still haven't managed to watch hackers, which was a goal while I was in Chicago, but I I cut my trip like one night short. I was, you know, supposed to leave on Friday. Instead, I left Thursday evening after the, uh, uh, after the Dallas day, Chicago. And yeah, I didn't get that next night to watch the movie. So I still haven't watched hackers. Uh, Shandi, go ahead. That's all I can say. Your name, sorry, yeah. Sorry, um, I was about to say. Um, so I've been, I've been avoiding buying an iPad just so that I don't have those challenges. But um, in terms of gaming, the one game I play is Civilization Five, and I've realized. Oh, I play six. Yeah, oh, cool. And I, I wonder if that's better for battery. And literally, when I say I play it, it was on my two laptops ago machine that I never installed since. Basically, it's been like a year and a half since I got an Im- interim laptop. And I wonder, because I used to play that offline on the um, Metro system in London while commuting. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a better game for, like, battery. Um, and, you know, just so, go with the iPad and do everything on the laptop. I don't know. Is that one solution? Yeah, I mean, I pl- 
like the one game I play the most is Civilization VI, and prior I played that on my iPad. Uh, the Steam Deck is a far superior experience, but you do not get the battery life like you do on the iPad. Um, the Steam Deck is using you know actual graphics cards, chips from AMD and Nvidia and stuff like that, where you know the the iPad Pro that I have is just using the same N1 chip on my laptop that I'm using right now. So. Uh, the battery life on my iPad for Civilization VI was okay, right? Like, I could play it for an hour. Um, but I would still need to charge it, right? Because it would just be useless after an hour of gameplay. So it's pretty much on par with the, the, the Steam Deck as far as consumption of power goes. It's a little better, maybe. Um, but, like, I've, I've basically gotten to the point where I charge my Steam Deck every night, just like I charge everything else. Uh, and it's nice to have a game-free device for reading. Um, I would like to make my iPad social media free to an extent, uh, if I could, but you know, I have a Kindle as well for books and it's, it's just a lot of gear, you know, at some point, like you've got to find the right balance. Right. And I thought about it. I was like, well, if I'm going to play Civ six, then I'll just, take my iPad, but I was like, oh, I've got City Skylines, I've got this, I've got that, let me play all that fun stuff. And did I play any of that? No, I just played Civilization VI. Uh, Nate, you had your hand up first, then Justin. Yeah, this was a little bit of an older topic, but you were, you know, Justin was talking about the Jumbotron and the dialogue within the spaces context, which Mm -hmm. is highly confusing. Um, I spent the last month bumbling my way through learning how to host Twitter spaces and run some stuff. So I was going to say, I feel like I've finally, after a month, gotten a decent handle on like the tangible mechanics around stuff. And so if you're interested, I could give like a quick 30 to 60 second rundown on the basics on the Jumbotron in particular is very confusing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would like any notes you have on that would be super helpful for me in general. Um, same with Justin, right? Like just a, a raw notes file. Just send it over Chris at ChrisShort.net. Uh, Justin, go ahead. Um, oh, I was going to say, between the Steam Deck, iPad, and laptop, I think next time I travel, the thing I'll give up first is my laptop. Right. Like, like a lot of the stuff that... That's what I was yeah, I would rather. I would rather... But carry the you know the iPad and do less things than have all the flexibility in the world of the laptop and say like oh well now I can now I can actually do some coding I'm like no I didn't you know there, there's no way I was actually going to do that on the plane like I said I would mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to especially on you know 12 and 14 hour flights like I just really want to just watch a movie and not think about stuff and yep. try to sleep um, yep. and so yeah as I was just I keep going back and forth the one thing that I did buy I don't know if you have an iPhone or not but I, I bought do. one of the anchor um, yep. I got two anchor bang. batteries in my uh, laptop bag. <laughs> but specifically, I got the one that has the um, magnetic, no cables, wireless charging. Oh. I didn't know and that, I love it because I have another anchor battery pack that mm-hmm. requires me to plug it in and everything. And I have this cable. And I was like, oh, it's such a pain. I'm like, oh, where's the cable? Oh, where's the thing? Oh, is it on? This right. one is just a, it's, it's, wireless charging magnetic right on the back of the iPhone. So it's easy to take off and put on because I don't mm-hmm. need it on all the time. Right. And then it also has a separate 
um, USB if I want to, I can actually charge two devices at once, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is super nice. Cause if my wife's phone or someone else needed, you know, extra power, I'm like, Oh yeah, I can still do it. And I got the 10,000 uh, milliamp, which I know is like pretty, low. it's my other battery pack is 10,000 as well. And they make like a 600. It's pretty big to put on the phone, but it was great for, I had two days there and back to Bangkok that I was traveling more than 24 hours. Right. And it could charge, it kept the phone at 80% the entire time. And I never had to worry about, like, by the time I got to the hotel, it was 30, from my door to the hotel, it was like 31 hours. And I just kept this on. And by the time I got there, there was still like two lights or whatever for charge. So um, I really, I'm enjoying this more than my my standard battery packs, which I also brought. But uh, yeah, just as, as another tip, I will probably get rid of my laptop on the next trip and just bring this battery pack, which I think can also charge the Steam Deck. And then uh, give me plenty of juice for conference days as well. If I'm out on a conference floor, yep. I don't have to worry about plugging in. I just stick it on the back of my phone. It's in my pocket. It's good. So, yeah, like battery management is a thing uh, in the short household. Yeah. My wife, you know, when we travel, like Max has his set of batteries. My wife has her set of batteries. And I have my set of batteries. And pretty much everybody looks to me when the power goes out anywhere. So <laughs> I bought a... 26k 87 watt anchor battery pack and i can charge uh four devices two usb-c ports two usb-a ports and this thing will charge my laptop so i know it'll charge the steam deck i know it'll charge every device i have in my bag so i don't have to worry about it right is it heavy yes but because i use a roller bag i don't necessarily have to carry that weight unless i'm lifting it up uh, if I need a lightweight battery for like a shorter trip, maybe I have a 10,000 power delivery power course slim from anchor, but I highly recommend the anchor series of everything chargers, cables, batteries. Like I've never gone wrong buying their stuff. So it's just a great company making good stuff. And that's kind of nice to see these days. The other unexpected thing of having, uh, battery pack like this was it takes USB-C to charge. Yes. Which means at night, I didn't have to bring a lightning cable. Yeah. I just left my phone on the battery pack and charged the battery pack while it charged the phone. I Everything was USB-C at that point. And that so, was just so much wonderful, oh, so much better so <laughs> to Justin, have one plug. Did you like check the safety manual or anything on that? Because I don't think you're supposed to charge and discharge one of these batteries at the same time. You might ruin it. I didn't see the safety manual. I was watching YouTube reviews where they were showing doing that, but I'll definitely Uh, look at the the actual docs. Yeah, look at the docs because I know on my batteries that is highly discouraged. Um, At least it used to be. Maybe they've fixed that now. I have no idea. All right, let's move on to the dev opsish subreddit real quick let's see what's the top stuff this past week here uh and folks remember go to devopsish.com you can see the latest newsletter there's links to the notes that generate the newsletter um so up top here three days ago there was a zinet article that i will copy about Chainguard's new wolfie uh, Linux distro that they have for it's, it's basically a container operating system that they've set up, uh, but like it doesn't have anything, right? Like they looked at Alpine and said, uh, like, no thanks, but here's something better, maybe. Um, and it does use the Alpine package manager to an extent, but it's not like I don't think it's enabled by default. 
if I'm I haven't deep dived into it or used it much at all. So yeah. Um my friend William Eliasson says don't charge batteries in mass while you sleep. Why is that? That that seems crazy, but okay. Um let's see. Oh, I shared that in the wrong thread. Do, 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 do. Put that there. Done. Um, next up, uh, Sig Store has a new look. Um, the iPhone 14, not the 14 Pro, but the regular 14 is apparently more repairable to because like the front and back come off more easily. So that was nice to see. I'd like to see that come to the Pro, but we're not there yet. More repairability is a good idea, though. Uh, let's see. CNBC um, says that Google CEO tells employees not to equate fun with money in a heated all-hands meeting. Uh, I'm not going to talk about competitors on the show, but I don't, I don't know what's going on at Google, to be honest with you. Um, I wish I did. Uh, if, if you're from Google and you want to reach out, chat some time let me know it seems a little disorganized to be honest um docker desktop is integrating a free sbomb generation tool that's kind of nice uh for all of us sbomb nerds out there i would like to see uh you know a little bit more coming out of uh just the bomb world in general bill of materials right like if you hand me an S-bomb, that's not necessarily going to help me find my exact dependency uh, in my space. If you go look at the Kubernetes S-bomb, Go is not mentioned as a dependency at all. And that's kind of scary. Um, because if something's compiled with a vulnerable version of Go, you're screwed, right? Like, that, it, whatever runtime errors might exist are there. So if you don't know they're there, that's a problem. And there's solutions like, uh, I just blanked on the name, Gitbomb. It's not necessarily like a straight up Gitbomb or SBOM solution. It uses what's called Git OIDs. So the hash from Git, it creates an object ID out of that. And it uses those components to determine dependency. Whereas... The tools right now are kind of lacking in the sense of, like, this is exactly what's vulnerable in your stack right now, right? Or this is absolutely everything that's in your stack right now and the underlying dependencies. Like, the and underlying dependency parts are kind of missing from SBOM. Gitbomb looks to enhance and make that better. So that's my take on that. Um... Lima VM, the, the awesome virtualization tool that actually went to the CNCF sandbox uh, last week or two weeks ago. And like, that's cool to see because I use Lima quite a bit uh, in my day-to-day -day life. So it's cool to see that become a real CNCF project kind of thing. Uh, the, the hope, I think, is to continue down that road and make sure that it's sustainable, right? Like, it's a really great tool. It'd be awesome if it were, you know, had some more wrenches turned on it and some tweaks worked out of it and everything else. It'd be great. All right, let's see. Uh, something interesting. Oh, something I actually talked about at 
of upstate Chicago, the, quote, last man selling floppy disks says airlines continue to make the uh, orders for his ancient technology. Um, floppy disks are still in use today uh, on many, many aircraft. The, the crux of the article was most aircraft are 20 plus years old nowadays, and that's wild to think about. Um, so check that article out. But he says he's got about another four years or so of like actual business sustainability, and then he's going to have to figure out something else to do. Um, but that's just the nature of life, I guess. Uh, blog from Kubernetes, local storage capacity isolation reaches GA. That's kind of nice. Um, I would like to have more features like that in Kubernetes. Uh, but more importantly, I'd like Kubernetes to get easier to use first. But I don't think that's going to happen, sadly. Um, I think the uh, the cloud providers are going to be in the business of making Kubernetes easier to use for folks and not the actual project, which sad but true. As time goes on, though, maybe it'll improve. Um, let's see. Girls Who Code, their books have been banned from some libraries, which is super, super weird. Um but apparently that's what liberty looks like in America today. I don't know. It, it just blows my mind sometimes what people think and do with their free time, right? Like, let's go pick on Girls Who Code because that makes total sense. Um, let's see. Google, <laughs> this one I read this morning, I think. Uh, some Google users, Google, Google Photos users, are finding that old images have been, quote, corrupted. That's bad. Uh, if you're using Google Photos as your image store and you're not like actively paying for service or anything, you would think, you know, storing old photos would be a solved problem, but apparently not. Uh, cold storage is hard. Um, you know, storage tiers are difficult. So give Google some, you know, deference there. But yeah, I would not be happy if I was, you know, like, Newborn pictures of my daughter were somehow corrupted somehow. I do not use Google Photos, just full disclosure. Um, something I've been watching kind of tangentially is the whole Artemis 1 mission launch. Uh, the idea behind that is uh, they've got to get the launch to happen before, like, the end of the, like, October, I think. Otherwise, they're like punting until next year, which is crazy. So this huge Artemis project has cost us billions of dollars, U.S. taxpayers. Um, and it has never flown, has never left the ground, uh, has had multiple failures and overruns and extra costs and everything else. So your mileage may vary in that space, which stinks, but is just the way it goes sometimes. Um, all right. Over to LinkedIn here. Let's see. What's the good stuff on LinkedIn today? Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. Um, so something that got a lot of traction, even though I didn't necessarily agree with it, was this article from Mike Long. Uh, he's the CEO of Costly, K-O-S-L-I. Uh, I met him at DevOps Day Chicago, so I ended up sharing the story as a result of that. But it's called, Does the GitOps Emperor Have No Clothes? And, you know, to be honest, there's 
there's some points here that are good, but there's a lot of points that are just like a mistake on GitOps in general. And I think we did a Twitter space on that recently, Justin, did we not? With Emily and Maddie and everybody. Um, so Justin, if you want to drop a link to that, that'd be awesome. Let's see. Going down the list here. Oh, yeah, Justin uh, Garrison. You might know him from this Twitter space. Uh, did a video on admission webhooks and Kubernetes. So let me find the best link for that, the shorts link. Uh, yes, Justin, your voice is on. Um, here you go. So Justin's little shorts are pretty informative in a very, very condensed format, right? Like he does a really good job with them. Like both, both, uh, uh, shoot, I'm blanking on names. Both Cy and Justin uh, do great jobs with the containers from the couch uh, channel. So containers from the couch info will take you to their page or cftc.info will take you to their page. Subscribe. It's always good stuff. You know, sometimes it's strictly AWS stuff, but nine times out of 10, if it's Kubernetes, it's talking about the open source project and how to use various features in it. Um, ah, here's a good one. A uh, four-day work week study brings no loss of productivity. So basically, instead of working five-eighths, you would work four ten-hour shifts, and you'd have like a Friday or a Monday off kind of thing. Um, I've never done the, the, I mean, I've done like 10 hour shifts, but I've never done like the four day work week before. Uh, it's an interesting take on things. Like it was an experiment. There's no real loss in connectivity shown or loss in productivity. So I happily look forward to my 10 hour days because I'm already doing them. Uh, I would just like to get credit for doing them and then have a day off after doing them. That'd be kind of nice too. Uh, so yeah, like just to let folks know, like the first thing I do, I get up in the morning, I come down here to the office, I get up to speed on everything that I need, check email, everything. And then I kind of go about my day. Um, sometimes that check email and get up to speed thing bleeds into work time. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it, it, it's a busy life, but I manage my time that way. So anyways, Backing down here, the tab number that I have open. Um, oh, I did a, I live tweeted an AWS live stream last week about building Slack bots with Lambda. And I did not realize how easy it was. So I'm going to share Linda's code space uh, or GitHub repo that she created because, like, you know, and I think it's like 10 steps in total that she had to do to get something working. It was pretty great, right? Like the whole ability to get stuff done kind of thing was really, really fast. Like she was able to iterate, oh, we're going to use rapid API and, you know, push in the Lambda. Here's my variables. Off you go. It was nice. Um, and I've lost this thread somehow. So this is amazing. Twitter spaces are like, I could see myself moving away from Twitter spaces very easily at this point and going to, like, just Twitch and being happy there. I don't know. It Like, this is, it's tough to manage. 
I guess. Like, they have not made this experience good, sadly. So, let's see. I have no idea where this thread ends or begins or whatever, so here we go. Just throwing tweets out to the wild. Um, moving along. Uh, Hugo 104 has been released. So, thank you to the Hero Project for making Linux ARM64 a thing <laughs> that you distribute naturally. I appreciate that, Hugo. Uh, let's see. Some opinion piece talking about how ARM is the new risk and risk is the new ARM. I don't know. There's a bunch of investor, you know, nextplatform.com stuff. It was an interesting take, but I wouldn't, like, I don't think I put it in my newsletter at all this week. Um, let's see. So this is interesting. Uh, this is a GitHub project called Cres, K-R-E-S, a tool to automate build instructions generation. So Cres is a tool to automate generation of build instructions based on project structure. At the moment, only Go projects are supported, but I'm sure there's going to be more. Um, but it looks at these various files that you create, you know, like git ignore, your Docker file, your make file, license, code coverage, whatever you need, right? Like your markdown linting. And it makes, you know, whatever kind of file you need. Uh, if it is a make file that you want outputted, it will create that, I guess. Um, I haven't kicked the tires on it yet, so your mileage may vary. But for what it's worth, it's probably worth looking at if you've got problems with uh, your build tools and need to take a fresh look at things. Pretty cool, pretty well received on LinkedIn. Um, moving down the page here. So, I kind of mentioned that, like I kind of retweeted somebody last week about this, but a lot of people have left Pulumi lately, like really high performing people. And that is disconcerting to me because I thought Pulumi would be a cool company uh, to work for, but it doesn't sound like that's the case and talking to people. So like David Flanagan, uh, Raw Code, as you may know him, left last week with absolutely no plan for uh, future employment, right? Like he threw out a bunch of ideas said he was looking for, you know, basically consulting work for DevRel, uh, which I think is a brilliant idea. Um, you could probably make more money doing that than working for one company, that's for sure. Uh, how you get around the non-disclosures and everything is a challenge, I would assume. But anyways, uh, he's one of like five people that have left that company like this year, uh, all high-performing individuals, all without a plan for like follow-on job stuff. So. If you're a Paluma user, you might want to uh, ask around, ask your, you know, account team or whoever uh, what is going on. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, so we've had a string. Next up is an article from Ars Technica. Uh, it's talking about, like, Impreva. They had a massive, massive DDoS. I'm talking huge. Uh, Imperva was, what did they say, 52, oh, I'm sorry, 25.3 billion requests 
multiplexed requests, right? So they're using like HTTP2 and they're just flooding you with a 25 billion requests over four hours, uh, 1.8 million requests per second on average. That's insane. You use HTTP2 multiplexing, so you were getting multiple things sent to one response kind of deal. So yeah, really, really powerful DDoS attack. And this Ars Technica link is going to give us, you know, a breakdown of all or some of the most recentest things. So yeah, it's really, really big really big uh, DDoS. I mean, we can't measure these things in gigabytes anymore. It's just not fathomable. We've got to measure it in requests per second and stuff like that. It's it's wild. Uh, and I'll include the link to the actual Imperva blog post as well. Let's see. No idea what I'm doing on my like screen right now. So Twitter spaces are Twitter spaces. Uh, let's see. What time is it? There we go. Like 20 minutes till the top of the hour. I usually try to wrap up about five minutes early. Um, Uber had a big breach. The U.S. military has bought a mass monitoring tool that includes internet browsing and email data. That's kind of creepy. Being a former uh, intelligence community member, I don't like the idea of that. Malwarebytes got $100 million in funding. Um, oh, I was talking to somebody about this article at DevOps A Chicago. It was after I was talking to them about lazy loading of OCI images, how, how that's now a thing. Uh, they were talking about shut, shutting down things. And I know a lot of people have a lot of lifecycle like, stuff they have to do. Like they run this long bash command to determine if the service is now working. But there's H, you know, you've got your lifecycle spec. You can pre-stop, look for a port to close in very, very plain, simple to understand YAML. It's a really, really nice feature. I want more people to use that um, because it will seriously uncomplicate that file for YAML when you do, you know, service termination or pods, you know, get spun up elsewhere and you need to kill off pods. Uh, yeah, so basically it's five lines, uh, used to have a lifecycle, pre-stop, HTTP get, and then under that you have two parameters, port and path. Uh, so the path is actually shut down and the port is whatever port number you're listening on. Um, super, super handy because I have seen some gnarly bash scripting to handle this. Um, so if you got any questions about that, check out that article or the, the Kubernetes docs. Um, American Airlines suffers a data breach after a phishing incident. Like, this shouldn't surprise anybody. Phishing is on the rise. Phishing is getting way more effective. Uh, to give you an idea of how susceptible people are to phishing, the one time in my career that I was able to run a phishing test against an entire company, uh, I caught 50% of the company and 100% of the developers. So that was... 10 years ago. Imagine what it's like now, you know, <laughs> it's gotta be like super, super granular. You have to inspect the email nowadays, like crazy. Um, 
else? What else? What else? Uh, if you want to come off mute and talk, or if you want to, you know, speak in general, ask questions, feel free to do so. Go ahead, Shandy. Hey. So um, thanks for that. That was very informative. This is the first time I've come along to this. Um, you mentioned a project was using um, so that the lambda, um, the lambda project using code spaces. No, sorry, I, be... that was a sorry? confusion on my part. <laughs> uh, okay, but so... what, what, I, I guess my specific question was: um, Do you or anyone else here have experience of? utilizing code spaces versus um you know s similar tools such as um I know, I know gitlab does something similar uh with their mm -hmm. ci um so code spaces the ci and then there's also gitpod is is there a kind of um an easy comparison summary out there in the interwebs that you found useful or does anyone have a quick you know couple of line summary comparison here yeah, if anybody wants to come off mute and talk about the comparison between the three. I mean, I've used all of those. Um, you know, it's pretty much we've, we've gone to a remote VS Code-like experience. Is That's their goal, right? And I know with Code Spaces, only because I'm working with somebody on the Kubernetes project to get our contributor workshop into a Code Space. Um, those can be pretty cool, right? Like we have cloud nine, uh, it's an IDE from AWS, uh, OpenShift has theirs. I think Google has their, you know, shared terminal kind of thing, but like between those three, I would say, you know, I don't know which one's the best for your situation, but I use a hosted instance of code server. Because that is just way cleaner. It's open source. I don't have to worry about anything. I have it installed on my tail scale network, so it's isolated. It's not publicly exposed anywhere. Like, it's super handy to have that code server because I can just pop up one of my websites, edit it, and be done on any device with a browser. And that is incredibly powerful. So that's my suggestion. Like, run your own code server because a lot of the... <sighs> services um they always lack something right like even code server itself you can't use some of the the microsoft specific or microsoft created or vs code specific extensions um but that's few and far between go ahead justin uh I, similar i've i've used all three um, of the main ones that are public, uh, Gitpod was typically more flexible than um, Spaces, just because Spaces is only GitHub, and I have stuff in GitLab, GitHub, and, and trying to get stuff around was a little difficult. Yeah. Uh, they're all broken in unique ways for me. <laughs> um, there's always there's always something that's like, oh, I have to work around this weird situation. Either that's because of the version or implementation, or just because it's running in a browser and the browser already has a billion and a half hotkeys. And yeah. then I'm just layering on more hotkeys on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've fallen back to just using remote spaces, uh, VS code with a remote instance or nice. a remote container. Yeah. Um, Cause then I get the, the native VS code without all of the browser plugins and crufts and mm -hmm. um, 
and keyboard shortcuts and a lot of things just work better um i yeah. also type with a dvorak keyboard and there's a couple of them that like they just don't even honor that it's a dvorak keyboard like nothing everything's wow. still like a qwerty shortcut and i'm like this this is just completely bro- like i can't use it yeah you can't use that at all <laughs> yeah no and so it's just it's funny to me that like some of it but like a native experience for a native app it understands what my you know what i'm using i can't use that in on a chromebook but i've i've pretty much given up on chromebooks i've tried for almost 10 years to like i wanted to use a chromebook as my main device and now i just don't care anymore now i'm just like you know what like i'd rather go to an ipad than a chromebook at this point and that makes sense and so yeah so for me it's it's all about just like remote instances native clients that i type in that have some of that automation uh, with some remote space that's either a larger instance or is a clean environment or something along those lines. So I can get some of the ve- benefits of a web hosted IDE and then some of the benefits of local editing and speed. Cool. Yeah. Like I've edited multiple websites at once on my iPad, you know, with a keyboard attached to it. Um, and like I've gone, you know, Justin, you went to the, you know, remote code app or that extension, I think is great. I use that prior to moving to a code server. Um, and the main reason I moved to code server itself was because I had full control of it, right? Like I could update it when I wanted, I could put whatever extensions I wanted in it and it was mine. It's open source. I can host it myself and it's secure. Um, and like you said, all the browser shortcuts on top of everything don't necessarily help stuff. Um, and like I have my code server set up so it's like a Chrome app. So some of those like shortcut keys, I believe, are tossed in that scenario. Yeah, um, and the I was trying that too because if you if you appify it or whatever and take out all yeah. of the all of the extra extensions and that sort of stuff, you lose a lot of that overhead and just make it a little easier to debug sometimes because that was really the hardest part is like what's going wrong here what layer in the stack is this thing not working the way i expect it to work on my local machine mm-hmm. um, which is just you know i don't want to spend all that time in my setting up a developer environment especially when i'm not on like a large team anymore if i was on a large right. team and everyone was pitching in and doing little bits of it and just improved over time that'd be great uh, but i'm mostly doing individual or one other person that we're pairing with um, I don't, right. I don't work on a large team of software developers anymore. Yeah. And like I do for work stuff, like I do all my, all my personal stuff on the code server for work stuff. I use VS code locally. Um, if I needed more horsepower for something, I would spin up a remote instance on my server that's sitting literally two feet from me. Uh, there's just a door between me and it. So yeah, that's, that's a way to get more horsepower into your environment. Anyone else want to uh, speak, ask a question, anything like that? Cool. Uh, Raise your hand and I'll put you in as a speaker if you so desire. You know, more tab cleanup happening. Um, Yeah, lifecycle thing, that's where we stopped. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's not a lot more to go over this morning. So, yeah, subscribe to DevOpsish. Go to devopsish.com. There's a subscribe button up at the top. 
dashboard. Like literally every page has a subscribe button. Go ahead and hit that. And then thank you to Honeycomb for sponsoring DevOpsish. Uh, couldn't do this without their help. Uh, they basically made the ex you know administrative work of sponsorship this year super easy by sponsoring the entire year of DevOpsish. So now I can spend most of my time actually working on extending the content and making the content better. So this podcast is a result of that. So thank you to Charity Majors and Liz Fong Jones and everyone else over there at Honeycomb. Um, without further ado, I'm going to be signing off here a little early. I think we got done with everything pretty quick, even some feedback in. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, tune in next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel, maybe. Might change to Twitch. Might stay Twitter spaces. Uh, Justin, I'm going to ping you later. And we're like, I've got to figure out the concepts, right? Like, I can't. Like yeah, it's it's tough for me to only be on my phone with this. But yeah, it's uh especially when you have like a nice mic, a nice computer, lights, all this other fun stuff. Go ahead, Shandeep. Thank you so much, uh, Chris and Justin, for your uh, responses. Uh, <clears throat> with um DevOps London, uh, where I'm based, coming up in a couple of days' time, is anyone here attending DevOps London? If so, it'd be great to see you there. DevOps days, or is it a different event? Yeah, that's that's what I meant to say. I don't know what I said. <laughs> okay, no, 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 that's fine. Uh, yeah, are you going to DevOps Days London? Let me pull up their site real quick and see. Wow, there's all kinds of cattywampus ordering. Okay, yeah, DevOps Days London, the 29th and 30th. That is this week, uh, Thursday, Friday. Um, nice. Are you still taking sponsors by chance? Apparently, yes, I could join as a bronze sponsor if I wanted to. That's pretty cool. All right. Good to know. Um, anyone here going? Raise your hand. Anyone in London? Anyone near London? Okay. Looks like... Uh, oh, hey, Mike. Senor Pinky, friend of mine. Uh, yeah. All right. So... Without further ado, uh, I'm going to wrap this up and we will catch you next week.